What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Ride Share Rodeo. Uber Lyft Driver and Gig Economy News. Sponsored by UberLiftDrivers.com, RideShareRodeo.com. I'm your host, SJ, and let's get it on. So, happy holidays, everybody. Hopefully, everybody is managing, getting through. Um, everybody's doing all right. And uh, um, getting ready for the holidays this week. We got Christmas coming in just days. Uh, and the end of this crappy year coming and you know, under, what, under two weeks? Under two weeks now. Just under two weeks and uh, this year will be over. What we will walk into with 2021, none of us know, um, but at least it'll feel like a fresh start, I guess, to some degree. Uh, this week, um, I have an interview, but it it was it was it's based around uh, a, a rideshare driver who wrote a book, but we also got into conversation about. Uh, rideshare itself. So I'm just going to go ahead and roll the interview because, um, yeah, it's not strictly about the book. It's not strictly about, uh, anything. We, we just have some good, uh, conversation about rideshare. So, uh, stay tuned. Let me pull them on and I will flip back on the other side. Hey Joe, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Doing well. Uh, great. So, uh, yeah, I wanted to uh, bring you on this week because uh, I know you wrote a book about rideshare, um, and I just kind of wanted to go through. Uh, I'm kind of going through people's rideshare experiences on the weeks we don't have like companies, companies like Dumpling and stuff on. I'm liking to get some some veteran drivers on, and since you had wrote a book about it, and it's in the the title alone and the cover was intriguing to me. <laughs> uh, I, I thought I would uh, going for a little shock, going for a little shock value there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I just you know, being a rideshare driver myself for six years, I've you know, how could you not see it all if you live in a big city? You know, I just what city? What city did you do it in? Oh, I'm I still I, I'm still in Denver. I I, I did it in Denver. Uh, well, not since the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, but I have, a, I have, uh, I had asthma when I was a kid and I, uh, I hadn't had even an, an inhaler on me in 22 years. And, uh, I had a major asthma attack that I was pretty, I, I scared myself up by researching it on the internet cause I thought my asthma was long gone and I was, I was convinced I had COVID. So I went to, uh, I, I called, uh, uh, you know, I didn't want to go to the ER because if it wasn't and I had something respiratory, I was 100% sure I'd walk out of that ER with COVID. Uh, so <laughs> I called uh, just, you know, one of those quick clinics and uh, and they said, come on in. I just said, I just wanted to give you, know, wanted a heads up that uh, I was coming in, you know, and when I got there, it was probably the worst day of like, I had put it off a little too long anyway. It had been going on for days and uh, maybe even a week. This horrible breathing, couldn't sleep, uh, 
just craziness. And so when I got there, um, I, I was like every step from the parking lot to the door of the urgent care, I was literally like having to stop with every step and pause. And it, 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 it was at its absolute worst. It's almost like it collapsed on me once I got there. And fully broke down. So when I walked in, they're like, what's your name? I couldn't even breathe. I couldn't even say my name. And that's not how bad it, it had been bad, but that's not how bad. It, that was the absolute worst it had been. They were like, get him in there. And, and then finally the nurse sent me down. She's like, well, you know, did you, have you been exposed to COVID? I'm like, I really don't think it's COVID. She's like, honestly, I don't either. I think you're having an asthma attack. And I'm like, okay, well, I, I used to have asthma as a kid. So that might make sense. So she, she took my uh, blood uh, oxygen levels and I was at 79, um, which is for those people who don't know is very low. <laughs> um, you're supposed to be 95 to hundred. So she gave me like three oxygen therapies, a shot, uh, prednisone, uh, inhalers. I walked out of there with a whole slew of prescriptions and things. Um, and then I got better. It, it turned out to be asthma. Yeah, it turned out to be asthma. I don't, I did, I don't know if it's back because for the first like month, I had to do the asthma inhaler like three times every two hours, even if I wasn't having a attack. And now I'm kind of off it, and I'm feeling a lot better. But I still do get a little wind, more winded because I do backcountry hiking out here in Colorado, fourteeners up in thin air, um, snowboarding. Yeah, I can imagine. My wife, my wife has asthma, so I can feel for you. I feel your pain. Yeah, it's just weird that, you know, as a kid I had it. It completely went away. I didn't even have an emergency inhaler for 22 years. Now I'm in my late 40s, and, you know, here it is again. And I'm not really sure where it is because, I mean, do I have it or was I... We, we, we kind of got smoked out here in Colorado from all the fires, not only from California but from our own this summer. And okay. so... So, yeah, so, I mean, you could see the smoke in the air. So I bought some HEPA filters for my son and I, and uh, it was just, I mean, you know, we don't, have, we don't have air conditioning, so it was a tough balance of finding those times to get some fresh air in the house and uh, running those HEPA filters all the time. Crazy times we're living in. Yeah. And then on top of that, having to wear a mask, you know, while I'm going through this really made breathing difficulty. So, you know, I was trying to just make, limit my store times, go the minute they open so that people wouldn't freak out. Cause I knew I didn't have, they gave me the test. And since I've taken a, I, I take a, a COVID test every two weeks now. Just, yeah, just, those are fun, aren't they? Yeah. Well, the ones here now don't go the deep swab. They just do the, the little swab in your nose. So they don't go past the cavity, and I really, I really like that. <laughs> yeah, I've had, I've had uh, in the past four months, I've had seven of them because I've had a few back procedures I've had to have done, and they do the deep swabs in your nose, and it just, I dread them every time I had to go. But knock on wood, every time negative. So yeah, I mean, it's it's better, than, I guess, than uh, having COVID and not knowing you have it. I'd rather have the deep swab than have COVID and like wait till it was so bad that I had to go to ICU. So, um, but yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to talk to you a bit about just kind of, uh, I know that you drove for a while. Um, and I know you stopped for a while. And when I was reading your reasons, like I mean, that's what, I mean, me as a six year driver, 
And a lot of the drivers I know around here in Denver who have been doing it for a long time, we all have those stories. I mean, like, I'm a big, in fact, I was a big uh, pusher of no miners in the car. In fact, I've been on uh, Nine News here in Denver and some other things and some other publications about uh, some of the issues I had with that and some of, like, the things I was doing, like sitting out front of a central high school here in Denver, which is uh, one of the biggest ones. And I was there. There's always two police cars there, and I would park right behind them. And uh, I, I would just turn on and let let people come up. And I'd turn my dash cam towards the the window, and I'd make them cancel. And I was get, get, catching it all on tape. And I was complaining. That's what you have to do. I know, but I mean, you know, literally, that's what you had to do. Yeah, and then you and then you call Lyft. You waste that time, or or Uber, and you waste that time on the phone. They get on and they say they're going to do something. They don't do anything. And, I mean, we can all figure out why. I mean, they just they just want it to sound like we'll do something, give them a slap on the wrist, but they don't ever want to. They'll, they'll deactivate a driver, but they won't deactivate a customer. Oh, of course. But, you see, what I got a kick out of a lot of times, I used to get parents who would request rides for their kids. Right. <clears throat> and then when I would turn the kid away, they literally would call the company and complain to, about me. And I'm like, I've got video and audio of the ride. Yeah. Here it is. You're complaining about, you're violating policies and you're sending me notices about I'm going to get deactivated. Right. I mean, it just made no sense. And then occasionally, then occasionally us drivers would get those emails too saying, don't pick up minors and all this. And then it really steams you. I literally, one night, here's an example. I pulled up to the, you said you were, you used to live down here, right? In Miami? Uh, I lived in Miami for a couple of years, yeah. <clears throat> the Hollywood Beach Hotel at the end of Hollywood Boulevard. Okay. There's a big hotel there. Um, right around the corner from it's this taco place. I pulled into the taco place one night to pick up a, to pick up a ride. I drive there, got it all on tape. It's a 16-year-old girl. Her and her friend are waiting. They both ordered separate rides. Okay, I pull up. I declined her. She literally ran from my car and got in with her friend and the guy behind me in that car. He picked them. He took them. And he knew that, I mean, they're minors. They looked like they were 16. I literally went around the block. I caught up to them. I followed them to their house, got out, confronted the driver, asking him, what you know, what's up with this? You're taking minors. You're making it harder for the rest of us. And he's like, he left. Complained to Uber, nothing happened. So, I mean, so what, what, it's, crazy. Did, did, it's a crazy business. Did her friend call an Uber too then? They both did. So they both, were, they, they both, both were calling different Ubers. You guys both showed up. Showed up at the exact same time. I pulled up behind the guy. Yeah. Her friend got in and then she ran over to the other car after I declined the ride. Yeah, I mean, I've got video, I've got video of it, and you can tell just from the video that the girl is sixteen. She's a young kid. They didn't want to hear. Company didn't want to hear. So yeah, I'm with you, and I and the and the worst part of it all is that the parents that don't want to hear it because I've been in that situation too. <clears throat> I mean, I know that a lot of kids, a lot of high school kids, their parents are like okay with them downloading the app, putting it on their phone. 
and using their account. Exactly. And, uh, and that even makes it worse because I know you're a parent. I'm a parent. I, I mean, I would, I would, my, my son and I have had many talks about this. He's just a freshman in high school right now, but um, we've had many talks about this that you don't take a ride until, you know, until you're old enough to do it. I mean, period. You just don't. Not your friends, not you. Don't joke around with this stuff. No, you want to you want to hear another fun story about that? Yeah. <laughs> I I went ahead and since the companies were, I had gotten deactivated by Lyft. Um, they basically deactivated me for too many declined rides, and I was refusing to share the whole share ride thing. That was just I drove a Cadillac. You know, I did a lot of luxury rides. And I just, I, I didn't want to have a bunch of kids in the car, right. um, a bunch yeah. of people at once, you know, unless I'm taking, you know, one ride, they got four people. That's fine. Um, but what I did was when I got deactivated by them for supposedly, you know, their reasons as opposed to my reasons, I, I called them and I said, look, here's a video for you of my daughter who is 16 getting a ride from a Lyft driver. Okay. And he picked her up and took her away. Here's his tag. Here's the car. Do you know whose account they deactivated? My daughter's. Because I, I actually made one for her, actually to do that, to show them that. Okay. And they deactivated, they deactivated that account. And I don't know if they deactivated him or not, but the bottom line is that's what they did. As soon as I sent them that video, within... An hour, the account was deactivated. So yeah, it's when you show when you show them things like that, they'll they I don't know I don't know it's it's a crazy business. They do what they got to do. They run it the way they want to run it. Um, I just never could understand how they you know they've got rules to follow, but yet they don't enforce them. Well, and, and really, they don't. To be honest, they really don't have a lot of rules to follow. I mean, it's their rules. And as, as we see around the world, they, I mean, look at when Travis ran the company. He would go into a country and just start operating without, literally without telling them that he was operating kind of thing. And then he'd get kicked out of there. And then they'd work out some money negotiation and they'd be back in there in a couple months. So it's it's been like a... You know, it's been a free-for-all, like a Wild West-type situation for since the beginning. It has. You know, it's like it, it's like the countries don't know how to deal with it. They're like, wow, this is really wrong. And then o- Uber opens up a briefcase of money, and they're like, okay, it's not that wrong. <laughs> you know, it's like, what are you doing? Like, it's, it's just... Money talks. Yeah, and I mean, but there's no, and I, I'm not a big fan of a lot of regulations and that kind of stuff, but there's none here. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, I don't even think they, they have to do the same as the taxi regulations, which even that can, those are sketchy too. So it's it's been a free-for-all for a long time, and I just, you know, I've, I've, I thought once they went public, I thought this is going to be where we're going to start seeing some regulations. And even that really hasn't happened. I mean, you know, I think that they have too many, they have too many uh, power people behind Uber. To well, look at it right now. I mean, you got the vice, the vice president to be his uh, or her 
um, what is it, her brother-in-law, Tony West? Yeah. Um, that's her brother-in-law. So Right, yeah. So he's got an in right there. Yeah. I, I just, yeah, and I mean, like, investor-wise, though, and it just seems like a lot of people kind of blindly have Uber's back. Because we've, we've talked about a lot on the podcast here, like, all the, you know, you see, like, when a when a passenger gets killed, raped, and all of this is just horrible stuff. We all know this, but when it happens, it's in the news forever. But when a, something happens to a driver, they just bury that. It barely ever makes even a half a news cycle. Oh, of course. You know, and I mean, like, one of the most brutal ones that I can remember to date is the one in Arizona. Um where the woman was uh, in her third trimester of being pregnant, and the guy stabbed her 32 times in the stomach. And she was a driver? Yeah. That's crazy. I'll be honest, I never heard of that. Yeah, it was, uh, it's on our website, uberliftdrivers.com. If you just, I think if you were to put in drivers killed, it would come up. Um, Or, you know... Something like, you know, driver stabbed or something. But this guy was just, he was having her take him from, or he was leaving Tempe and he needed to go to a parking lot, one of the external parking lots from Sky Harbor Airport in Phoenix. And uh, when they got there, he just, uh, he just kept stabbing her over and over and over, threw her out of the car, took her car. Her car was, had a, I don't know if it's low jack or what it was. But it had a tracking system on it. The police were able to track it, and he was headed to California. They caught him about 50 miles before the border, pulled him over. He pulled right over, no chase. And uh, they said, did you kill the lady? And he said, yep. Crazy. So Times we live in. It's times we live in. I know. Well, so, so this leads me to now I'm a little confused about your book. Is It's not – it's – it's nonfiction, right? It's fiction. No, it's fiction. It's fiction, but it's I know. but it's but it's based off of what I've done. Exa- I mean, exactly. This is where my confusion is because it, it's fiction, but it's reality. <laughs> it. I mean, it is. Let's take a perfect example. I mean, this. What you just said about this guy killing this woman. Um, you know, here's one of the things that popped into my head when I was driving. How easy this would be. Let's just say, for instance, that guy, he did that to that woman. And instead of throwing her out of the car, okay, he just threw her in the truck. Okay? Right. The car, the application's still running. Okay? He ends the ride. Takes over as the driver. Okay? Most people, when they get in a car with an Uber or a Lyft, they don't check the drivers. I don't care what people say, what the companies say. They, oh, yeah. They don't check who the driver is. They hardly check the tags to make sure they're getting in the right car. So now this guy has the car. He's got the op- opportunity to go drive and pick people up, which is one of the ways that I've come across or put across in my book of how he can go ahead and get back at the industry one ride request at a time. Pick up people what to do with them, whether you want to kill them, whether you want to drive them, it's up to them. But you basically, once the app is running, you can just act as the driver. Sure. So, yeah. and, then, <laughs> and that's, you know, and that's 
one of the ideas that I had in my book to use it because there's really no protection for people against it. I mean... No, and we've seen all the, all the different ways of like when that uh, when Samantha died last year, and it re- it made news for like six months because the family had a lot of money and they raised a lot of a lot of uh, press about it. Um, you know, it was like make sure the child lock isn't on the door when you open it. Again, these go to what you said. Like people aren't doing that; they're not. They're barely checking the tag. I was an advocate of like instead of all these stupid ideas, and I'm not saying this is the one, but like. Have a have a way where the the customer has to type in the 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 license plate number. So you're not only looking, you know, your car arrives, you can match it up however you want, but you have to type in the license plate number and it'll say that's not your car. Exactly. Or some... but most people don't do that. There was just a story on this. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the show, What Would You Do? I don't think so. Mom, Tom, ABC, uh, John Quinones does it. Okay. And it's basically they put together scenarios. What would you do in this scenario? What would you do in that scenario? Gotcha. And they did one, they did one on this particular instance, you know, a lady coming out of a bar, she's drunk, getting into the wrong car. And would people step up and say, hey, don't get in that car? You know what I mean? And the way they did it, it was not the same as I wrote about, not the same that we're talking about, but... You know, people were stepping up and say, hey, you shouldn't be getting into that car with a stranger. So, you know, people know better. They just don't care. <laughs> right. Es- espe- especially the late night crowd. And I'm not just blaming on alcohol or whatever, but the late night, I mean, the late night crowd, and I'm sure you had this happen. I, I can't tell you, especially in the beginning when I was, when you're trying to figure all this stuff out, because again, you, you know, <clears throat> we can put a lot of this blame back to, Uber and Lyft because I remember when I first started, you don't get anything. You you apply, you you get a thing saying you're you're good to drive. Download the app. You turn the app on. There's there's no training. No, none whatsoever. And there's no there's not even like safety videos that they make you come into like one of their centers. You know, like a, a green hub or a lift a lift center, and make sure that you watched it. And like maybe even take a very easy but test the, to make sure you comprehended it. No, they just hand you the app, say here, go out. And right. I remember my first ride in a in an Uber, and my first ride actually in an Uber was to go pick up a Sonata at a dealership that I was going to be used to doing it. I literally just applied to get a, a car through a local dealership, through a program that, I don't know if you remember the program they had where they were leasing cars. And I went, I leased a car, but how to get there, I took an Uber. I got into the car. The car was a mess. It was filthy. This is my first Uber ride, my first representation of what the company is. The guys were bare feet, ripped jeans. There's wrappers on the floor of the car. There's clothes in the car. It was a BMW, but it was like a mess. That was my first introduction to rideshare drivers. And I got the car. I literally got the app on my phone. I started the next day. And I tried at least to do better than what I saw. Um, It's just, it was a crazy business. And my business, when I was doing it, 
I worked overnights. I literally worked from, say, 7 at night, 6 or 7 till 6 in the morning. And Yeah, I did, I, did, I did that shift a lot, too. You know, it's just, I did it because, you know, traffic, it's not like it is during the day. And it would, sur- and it would surge. And, you know, people coming out of the bars, that's where the money was, you know, going right. home late at night. So, right, you'd get you'd yeah, get the be, you'd get the best surges. You'd you'd make the best rates, and that's what it's supposed to be about: is working flex time and when you can work, and and how to earn the best, and what hours to work. And in my market, it's the same way. Bars are a big part of the industry. You know, it's um, you know I know people who love to work the Bronco games. I literally stay away from the Bronco games because it takes me an hour hour and a half to find the people. I mean, I did the Dolphin games one day, and that was the first and last time I did it. No matter how much they were surging, right. no, much, no matter how much, I just it was an hour to get in, an hour to get out. Right. I always, and I always found my, I always great. found myself better going to the opposite side of Denver, and all the drivers would be over at, at uh, Invesco, over at the Bronco game, and I, and I'd literally anywhere I went that was far enough away. I could literally just, I'd, I'd have constant rides, good rides, too, and there'd be no other drivers because they were all over there. Exactly. So I actually started looking. Sunday was a regular shift of mine, but I went nowhere near the stadium. And if I did have to take people to the game occasionally, you know, I'd be somewhere and they'd be like, we're going to the game. I'd see them coming out in their Bronco attire or whatever. And so I'd, I'd you know, I would... As soon as I had them in the car, halfway I'd turn off that this was my last ride, so just so I could drop them off and get out of there. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and it's all games were crazy. Yeah, I mean, I, I can only, and, and, and that's why I, I get curious on how this, how your ten years as a PI played into all this too, because you watching this must have just been driving you nuts. <laughs> Um, I watched everybody in my backseat like a hawk. I had cameras. I made sure. I, I believe me, working overnight in Miami and Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. Um, there were some nights that were scary. You know, people got in that I know I shouldn't be in the car with, and they shouldn't be in. But you know, it was money. Right. And you start getting in a groove, and you start. I mean, the more you do it, the more secure you feel. Even with the even with the bad situations, you start turning down some rides, as you should. You know, like this guy's way too drunk. I'm not cleaning up his puke, so I would rather. I'd much rather take a cancel than risk it because I've been a bartender for many, many years. So I know all the signs of reading these people. If I, if I see those, I don't. All I, I wasn't even thinking safety all the time. It was a lot of it was cleaning up my car. I'm like, I don't want that guy in my right. car. Now, knock on wood, I never had anybody puke in the car. I've had them puke on the car outside, yeah, up to the car. But and then they're like, well, I'll give, now can you give me a ride? I at least I puked out here. No, you just puked on my car. I got to go clean. Right. <laughs> you're not. You're not getting in. Yeah. So. Um, you know, uh, and, then, and then Uber requiring pictures of, of, of the puke and I get it. They need something, but it's like, you know, like I, I don't know any drivers anymore. I, I, I mean, maybe I'll have to wait here a bit, but I don't know any drivers anymore who, uh, um, don't have dash cams rolling and I just don't see yeah, why, why do you need to produce them? It's crazy. 
Yeah, but why do you need to produce a picture when we could be sending Uber? Okay, here's the video of them throwing up. <laughs> you know? Exactly. You don't need a picture. Right. You know, so I, how, let me ask you, when, as on that subject, out there, because down here, I mean, there were so many people scamming that whole system. Right. I mean, literally putting, put using fake puke in the back of their cars. Yep. And just making a quick seventy five hundred and fifty bucks and taking advantage of people who were passed out in the back of the car. Did that happen out there as well? Yeah, and I just accounted to the karma though that uh, of the same on the same note, all the riders who had a good ride. Let's say I gave somebody a good ride. And this was rare, but it would even happen to me. You know, I'd, we'd even have a good talk. Everything was fine. They'd get out. I felt like that was a really good ride. And then they would file a complaint or something that didn't even make ride. that didn't even make any sense just to get that ride for free. Yeah. And I was like, dude, seriously? Like, we just I just took you a half, drove you a half hour home. We had a good conversation, and just for that little bit of money, you're, like, putting my livelihood on the line? Oh, people don't care. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things that bothered me about the whole industry. I mean, literally, you could, like you said, you have a great ride, you have a great conversation, and, you know, the next day you're, you have an email in your box saying, hey, you know, what happened with this ride? And now you have to complain. I picked somebody up from a hotel one morning. Okay, it was 5 o'clock in the morning. The guy didn't speak a lot of English. I was having a problem understanding him. He had to go to the airport. It's a five-minute ride from where I was. But he wanted to bring people with him, and these people wanted to go somewhere else. And I explained to him, I can't do that. Okay? Got to take them where you're going. He gave me a hard time. I canceled the ride. Okay? And I said, I'm done. I'm just not going to do it. The next day, I get an email saying that I was using racial uh, slurs against the guy. You're deactivated. We have to investigate this further. Okay. So for a week, I was out of work while they did their supposed investigation. I sent them the video of it. And they said, oh, oh we're sorry. We see that what happened. It wasn't you. And they reinstated me. And it's just... I don't get people how they can, how they just, it's so easy to file a complaint nowadays. Yeah. Or, and they get people in trouble for nothing. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. Well, and, and also, I mean, look at how, I mean, look at how much further ridiculous it goes that Uber, Lyft don't even, I mean, I don't, I don't know if, if you open an account today and you've never had one, and I don't know many people that that would be the case with, but as a passenger, as a customer, um, for years, I mean, for all the years I drove, you could upload no picture and make a fake name. Yes, it's not surprising. So I'd say pick up customer. I'd drive to a dark street around 1 a.m. and it would say G Money will be out in a minute. And it would have no, exactly. and it would have no picture. And I'd be like, okay, so I have no way of telling if this guy is the guy. Right, he could send all. He could just do that all night long with his phone. I mean, for all I know, that yeah. was a, that was a great way to to for a main drug dealer to sell drugs would be to send all of his people out under that account, never do it himself, and 
15 different people are riding his G money. <laughs> you know, it's like... Exactly. I don't know what's going on, and I don't, you know, it's, it's, you can't even confirm that one. Are you G Money? <laughs> you know, it's like. Yeah, you got a license? Is that, is that your name on there? <laughs> but I'm just shocked that, because I've been through the hoops with, with Uber and Lyft, but Lyft tried to pay attention to me for a while, and I really got, I, I was in touch with their safety enforcement team because of the minor issue, and. Because I was going on news and, and I was doing the website, and I, I think that they just, you know, wanted to have somebody trying to pretend to help me because I'd say, How, where do you guys get off having these fake names, no pictures? And they're like, or if anything, a fake name and a picture of a bulldog. That's one of the most popular out here. Um, and so, you know, like, you know, or, or a Rottweiler or whatever it is, your your dog, basically. And so... Right. So where do you guys get off doing that? And they and Lyft actually told me that when they started, it's they, they compared it to the pink mustache. They said the pink mustache was to make us stand out, be a little bit different from Uber. So we encouraged people to make fun handle names. And I was like, you didn't have a team that overlooked that and thought this is the stupidest idea ever? Oh, that's a bad idea, people. Right, I mean, like, you think it's funny to have a fake name? Like, yeah, make fake names. Don't put your picture up. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I thought years ago, and I always told them, I'm like, well, I don't think it would be the end of the world for you to say, sorry, guys, to send out mailers or to everybody that has an account like that. Sorry, we need your real name on your license and a picture to go with it. Well, again, you know, they... Their background checks are are minimal, right. and you know, there it's all a money thing. It, you know, they've got a business that they're running. That you know, the more money they can take in, they're happier. You know, they're going to be um, safety is you know secondary. Uh, drivers are secondary, as far as I'm concerned. It's a high turnover rate, and you know, doesn't really matter um, to them. Yeah, I I have a I have a friend I've connected with for years over Twitter that I've actually connected with outside of Twitter too, who does more rides pretty much than anybody I know from the Massachusetts area. So he does one of those he's one of those multi state drivers that up there can drive in a bunch of different states. <coughs> and he his name is Charles Sanchos, and he. Uh, he speaks English, but it's his second language, and it's a little choppy. But they suspended him for uh, a month, and he was writing them daily emails. This is how I live. This is they never even got back to him why he was suspended until the very end when they when he got everybody at Uber was saying um, we don't have any record of why you'd be suspended. You show as active on our platform. This is what he was seeing, and then after a month, he got an email saying uh, we finally did your background check. Now he had already worked for them for four years. And, and it said, we had finally done your background check. And I know that they do one every year on you, or they're supposed to. But for whatever reason, they tagged him as some kind of issue because he wasn't uh, born here in the country. But he was, you know, he's going, hey, I worked, I've worked for you for four years. I've done 30,000 rides. And there was never an issue. Now all of a sudden there is one. Right. It's like they flagged him as, you know, almost like his name and that he doesn't speak English as his first language. I mean, like, there wasn't even an incident for him, though. 
There wasn't like a, a, a customer didn't call on him or anything. He's one of the most polite people I know. And it was, he just had, he literally had no idea. At least with a lot of us, we just get mad because we call in and they're like, well, a customer complained on you, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, well, that's, that's bull. And I have video that proves it. And then they just don't care. And they're like, well, if we need that, we'll let you know. They never need it because they don't want it. No. You know, when I got deactivated, it was just complaints that they said. And literally, like I told you, I had, um, I've got video or I had video of all the rides that I did. And I was willing to provide whatever they needed. And they just pretty much shut me down. They said, no, you're done. You're deactivated. Too many complaints. And... Um, literally left me stranded you know i'm like okay i'm done what do you do and that was with lyft and that, no that's with that oh that was uber. uber as well okay that was uber was about uh, about three months later and uber never really even even gave me any reason all they said was there were complaints against you and they could not document for me anything I went to the hub, I went to all their, you know, I went to every place they had down here, uh, complained, I was there pretty much three, four times, and they didn't want to hear it. And that's when I, you know, I started thinking, you know, this is just crazy. That's where the idea for my book came out. Right, so moving on to your book, um, so it's it's all based around your experiences. So I'm guessing that, because if I, I'm thinking of myself, if I were to write a book like you did, I'd probably use the stories that I had because I've got some good ones. But I, and then if I was making it fiction, I'd just tweak it out a bit to meet my storyline. But, um, but for the most part, most of your stories are probably generated from you and your own experiences, even though you know about many other experiences of other drivers. My guess is you, you more took it from home and it's your experiences. Got, I mean, everybody's got a, I mean, a book or a movie, they've got a log line. So what I basically did was they say serial killers are born with the drive to kill. Others are driven. When the rideshare industry decimates his life, he plans and executes his murderous revenge one ride request at a time. Right. So <laughs> what I did was basically take what happened to me and turn it against the company itself, go out. And now you want to get revenge against the company. How do you get revenge against them? You start killing off drivers, passengers, things of that nature. I mean, let's face it. Who hasn't, as a driver, wanted to take one of their passengers and toss them off an overpass? <laughs> okay, yeah. who as a passenger, who as a passenger hasn't wanted to take one of their drivers and stick them in the eye with a knife? Yeah. And well. so, you know, I've kind of intermingled both. And going back to what I said earlier, I mean, taking over a driver's account, it's really not that hard. Four o'clock in the morning, you're driving with somebody as a passenger. If I'm a passenger in your car and you're driving and we're driving, I killed a driver um, when we stop at a red light, whatever it is. And, you know, I'm not telling people to go out and do this. Don't say, you know, right, yeah, yeah. go out and do it, you know, but you take over, you, you know, you take care of that driver, you throw him in the trunk, throw him in the bushes, whatever. You take over the account. Most people, they're not going to be looking at the driver. So now you pick somebody up, dispose of them, pick up somebody else, dispose of them. Pretty soon, that kind of 
actions are going to put fear into the industry. And I like one of the things I was thinking about the other day is, you know, if you look at the movie Jaws, they, you know, used to say, don't go back in the water. You know? Yeah. I want to get it to the point now where people are thinking about, hey, remember when our parents used to say, don't get in a car with a stranger? I want that to come back. Right. And that's what I want from basically with the book. That's why I wrote it. I mean, they pissed me off, so I pretty much, instead of going out and doing those things, I just wrote about it. Right, yeah, it kind of, you know, and I, I, I know we briefly chatted before we got on the line here that uh, you were, you know, you were talking about the, I was telling you about the rideshare movie that Tremaine Hayhoe had written from Hayhoe Studios, who we had on here, and he caught a bit of flack because his was just based on a driver uh, who was kind of doing all the things you said, who had kind of, you know, he was just out to, to get all of his riders, um, but... The one of the people criticized his movie. One, I mean, you know, one of the people who criticized his movie said, you know, the driver looks exactly like the exactly like the guy who killed people in outside Kalamazoo, Michigan. I'm from Michigan originally too. I've been out here for many years. I went to Miami for a few years after after Michigan, then here, and been here since. But I'm originally from Michigan, but. He said that you know one of the one of his people said the driver in your movie looks exactly like the guy from uh, who who did that in Michigan and I thought he was going to say oh that's just coincidence really no meaning there he literally had worked with this guy who plays the main role in the movie in another movie and they did everything they could to make him look like the guy from Michigan but the story has nothing to do with that it's not. The app's not telling him to go kill people like the guy in Michigan. Right. You know, because that guy obviously had some other issues too, but, um, you know, it's not like it's not like the Son of Sam thing where his dog or his app is telling him to kill people. It's just there's a different storyline behind this movie, but I, I thought that's really weird that you picked a guy like the guy in Michigan and then really wanted it to look like him when you're not doing the story like that. Yeah, that is strange. I mean, I saw. I looked at the preview before um, you called me back, and it's definitely something I'm going to look up on Prime. I'll probably do it tonight or tomorrow, and I just take a look at it. Um, it's it, you know, it's actually it's actually a really good movie. It's it's worth watching, and there's a lot. There will be a lot of comic humor for you as a who's been a driver because they do a lot of those questions that we just hear every day that you just hate and you see them kind of sighing the driver. I won't get away in the movie, but it's just, you can re- if you've been a driver and you watch the rideshare movie, you can relate to every part of it. <laughs> you can just be like, oh and my that's, God. <laughs> that's definitely something that's good. Yeah. Um, because a lot, a lot of the things that go on in the industry itself, people have no clue about the uh, dirty side of the industry. You know, they figure, okay, let me just, you know, I get a ride, quick ride from here to there. Um, and, you know, I'm done. But they don't see what actually goes on for drivers. Right. And uh, that's something that I want to kind of like share. Because you know, I put all that in there as well. So, And in, like, I, in our area, I don't know about, you know, exactly where you are, but I know Florida, Florida's a lot more populated. You leave one city, you're almost into the next. It's just kind of... 
But out here in Denver, Denver's, you know, obviously the biggest city. Boulder, Fort Collins, and Colorado Springs are the other ones. Then there really aren't other ones. So once you leave Denver Metro, if you're going, like, north, it just starts getting more isolated, isolated, darker, darker, darker. So if you're taking somebody on a late-night drive, anyone that has you leaving the city feels a little sketchy. Because you, you're just going into darkness, and you're like, well... <laughs> Where's this guy you know, taking? Where are we headed? <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. Even if he's a good guy or a good girl or whatever, it doesn't matter. It's where are we going? What is this? You yeah, know, it's a scary so, industry. Yeah, but so the volume one is that is that was that just kind of like a Tarantino tag, or is there a possibility of a two? I mean, is there more stories that you're trying to put out there? Or? Well, right now, I mean, the first one is uh, based in Miami. Um, second one's going to be based in New York, uh, which I've already written half of that. Um, the third one's going to be hopefully at the end we get out to California and we take out, you know, the people who run the show. Yeah. And then, you know, he'll meet his demise somehow, I'm sure. So there, oh, so, so, so it already is a, it really is a volume one. There already is a plan for the extension. Okay. <laughs> um, like I said, the second one's already half done. Um, Are you... I just put a lot of, the past month I put a lot into writing, you know, finishing the screenplay that I had and for the first one and getting that done. Yeah, so that it, uh, so do you have a New York driver or drivers that you're working with for stories? Um, no, basically what I'm doing is taking my experience yeah. and it's not going to be... Um, about experiences with drivers actually there. It's just going to be going to New York to decimate the industry and put the fear of, um, just put fear into the drivers and passengers up there. Yeah. You know, again, getting back to the, you know, don't get in a car with a stranger. People need to start realizing, you know, who they're riding with. And a lot of times, you know, I've got four kids and I watch them leave and I yell at them all the time. <laughs> my my three girls, I mean, God, God, I love them, but they just, you just get in the car. You yeah. don't look at the tag. You don't look at the driver. You don't question anything. You just get in and you go, and that's the world we live in now. I mean, people are to the point where it's like, okay, we'll just go. You don't know who's driving you, and I don't care how many times they tell you they do background checks on these people. The background checks they do, I guarantee you are not deep enough to know who's actually the wrong people to be driving. Right. They're just doing very surface-level stuff, like has this guy committed a felony or been in jail? Right. They're not really getting into the guy's story like some, you know, like a cor- like even a corporation would do a deeper check. Of course. And if you say the wrong thing to the wrong person who had a bad day, he's going to flip out on you. Or they're going to flip on. And they, it's the same with a passenger. I mean, for a driver, a driver can say the wrong thing to a passenger. And in a moment, you can get, you know, a pen stuck in your ear. So. Yeah, I, uh, I'm actually, you know, I, I really am kind of looking forward to reading your book. So I'm a, I've, I've, I've read so many, you know, I've read so many nonfictions on this, you know, like Uber and all these books that people have written about what they think about the industry, but they really come from mainly from people who have never driven. 
Um, yeah, of course. And, you know, you take it from somebody who's in the industry and you say, you know, what, you got a person who's doing this for a living. Okay, this is what they do. Time and time again, driver, I mean, passengers doing what passengers do and bitching about stupid stuff, box cards and, oh, you're late, I'm sorry, your car, you know, it smells, open it, you know, open the window. Like just passengers bitching and, you know, somebody snapping because of what the passengers are doing, snapping because of what the companies are doing. Yeah. It's possible. And that's where I wrote this from, I mean, from a standpoint, because when I got that letter that day, that email that said, we're deactivating you, we're parting our ways, and and it ended by saying, have a nice day. Jeez. It kind of, it, it literally just, it like, it really made me think about, you know, yeah, I've got money put away, I can go do what I need to do, and I'll be fine. But what about the person that's not? And they get deactivated because some... 17-year-old who was, wasn't supposed to be on the platform anyway, his parents complained for some bullshit reason. Now this guy's got no job, no way to make a living, no way to earn his money. You know, right? You lose your car, you lose your house. You snap. I mean, things happen. So, yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I was... I think that's almost, how I looked at it. I think almost every driver's in that book. Or, or in that boat. I think almost every driver is reliant... I mean, they, they can't afford to be terminated. And what would happen if you were? Right, you'd have... I, mean, that's, I guess, yeah, it's, that's I guess it somewhat depends on your social setting, too. You know, like, are you a, have you had a bunch of other jobs? Are you able to go get other work? Or are you a full-time parent and running around so much that without a flex schedule, you're screwed? Um, exactly. You know, so... It, I don't know. I really hope the gig economy cleans itself up because I do believe in it in a lot of ways, but it does it needs so much work. And the companies have to be willing to put in the work, but I I just don't see it. You know, right. they're just in it for the money. They're they're in it to make a dollar, and you know that's up to them. You know. Well, that's why I like some of these companies that are up and coming. Even like I know that with Alto, they just started in L.A. after Dallas. Those are their only two markets. But then you're an employee, but you're driving one of their vehicles. It sanitizes between every ride. Drivers in a bubble. Um, dumpling. You really, truly do have your own LLC business within the dumpling platform. And you're allowed to build all your own customer base and work out all your own rates and all this. Those are the kind of things that I think need to really step up. Because, like, Dumpling is one, for an example, that we had on the podcast that is really starting to grow. Uh, we had the CEO, Joel Shapiro, on, and he really broke it down and explained it. And I already knew about Dumpling. But after that podcast, I was really awakened and thinking, this is a great model. This is how, this is how the gig economy should work. Because being a bartender, being, being in the service industry basically my whole life, I got to tell you that... You know, not, I, I say this a lot on the podcast, not everybody's meant for, to do rideshare. <laughs> I mean, you gotta, you, you got, you gotta be personable. You gotta be, even when you're in a bad mood, you gotta be in a good mood. You gotta make people happy. You know, people talk about never getting tips. I used to get tips a lot, but I've always worked on tips. So I know how to, you know, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not bullshitting people and trying to like, 
get them to just tip me, but I just, you know, I try and read them and have a conversation that I think they'd engage in. And Yeah, you got to know when somebody wants to talk, when somebody doesn't want to be bothered, when somebody just wants to be left alone. Right, you know, and even, but, even, but even those people, you can get a tip out of those people, too, if you do it right. Exactly. You know, if, if somebody's on there and gets in and they pull out their computer and you're taking them to the airport, that's not going to be somebody who's probably looking for a conversation. So offer offer them, hey, you know, do you, is, is the, do, you, do you need more air conditioning if it's summer? You know, is, is find that those, those niches that you can help them with that they might want. But then mainly keep quiet and just do a just drive real good, <laughs> you know, so that they can just relax and have their ride. I don't know. I think I I, I hear too much from people that they're like you know there's I, I'll you, they'll say to me that well you know you know there's no way that a driver can make X amount like I heard on your podcast last week and I'll say where are you? They'll tell me what market they're in and I'll say well that guy was from Seattle or L A or um, wherever. And I'll say, and, that, and, and you got to realize that with all these rideshare companies, it is market to market. I mean, some some cities you really can't make much money, and in other cities you can make a lot. You know, but exactly. but the cities that you can make a lot in usually involves like what you and I are talking about. There's a danger factor. There's this, the other, and that's why you're just always busy because there's a lot going on. But that also brings in a lot more danger. It also means usually a higher cost of living too. So some of the cities that I hear from people about, you can't make that much. Well, dude, you pay half, those people pay half as much to live. <laughs> so, of course, you know, it's like, you gotta, yeah. you gotta balance this man because I might make twice as much as you here in Denver because it's twice as much to live here. Yeah. Try down here in Miami. Yeah, I did. <laughs> See, you know, you know, cost of living down here is going through the roof. It's crazy, you know. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how we come out of this pandemic. But uh, yeah, oh, um, this pandemic is a mess. I went, I was in an Uber the, like oh, it was about two months ago. The last one I had, um, it was hot. It was about ninety degrees during the day, and I had needed to get up to um, Coral Springs to pick up a car that I bought. So. I picked, I picked up in this Corolla. The guy has a piece of plexiglass between the front and back seats. Okay, across the whole inside of a Corolla. Now, you know the inside of a Corolla, they don't have AC in the back. Right, which is illegal. That was a hot ride. Okay, but I'm saying that's the way he had his car set up. Yeah, that's how a lot of them are set up, though. And if you don't have AC in the back, you got to open the windows. That's yeah. not a comfortable ride. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, how do these people do it anymore? I mean, I personally, I don't do it anymore. So, you know, now I just write about it all. So it's crazy. Yeah. And so what I do is I do the podcast. I run the website. I've been a driver for six years. And I, I stay in touch with all of the gig economy people I know. But I'm also working with Team with Para now that used to be Autonomy.Jobs, which is where, you know, through we're working on uh, – Right now, our team is it's mainly on California. Other than me, it's, uh, the other three people are are pretty big hitters. It's the the prior operations manager of uh, of Uber Operations uh, Nevada who launched Uber in Las Vegas. It's the the uh, uh, one of the security chiefs who left Twitter is on our team. 
who's who's great with data. And uh, then we have another guy, too, who's kind of new, who has a totally different background, more people person and uh, money guy. But we're doing things like you can you can uh, apply for 16 – you can apply through with Para for 16 different apps, gig apps, like Lyft, Uber, Instacart, whatever. And if you don't use them, you don't use them. But it's one application. And then your your info is encrypted as well, and so it was a lot of hoops to jump to be able to do that. But um, it you know some people are like I'm never going to work those. Well, it doesn't matter. You know you you you're able to if you ever want to, and if you don't ever work it, you'll never be activated in terms of them looking at you. So if you don't work right. it, it doesn't matter. But you also will have a referral code, and one of the things we're going for now is to, if people are willing to uh, give up their referral codes, which I know a lot of these, a lot of drivers don't, a lot of the YouTube channel drivers don't and stuff, but we're trying to get uh, a code, Families of the Fallen. And so if people have fallen ill to COVID or if if they were killed in the line of duty and they have a family, we're trying to get it so that drivers can say, Yes, I want to sign up for these 16 platforms, and I want to use the, the code Families of the Fallen as my referral code. And then your referral code would go right into that uh, nonprofit 501c3 so that we could get that money back out to the people who whose families were dramatically affected by either the pandemic or, um, you know, killed, attacked, whatever That's it might be. Uh, because, That's nice that you do that. Yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I don't need the referral money because at this point, I don't think that there was a time that I've, I've referred a few people, but it was way back in the beginning. And then I started seeing some of the people who just kind of live on that. And I, there's a few that you'd know the name of, too, I'm sure if I started listing them off, but who they only make their money off the referrals. And I, I don't like that. I don't think that, you know, when those referrals get way up there, like, hey, if they do 100 rides in a month in a market, or if it's more or less, whatever it is, and, if, you know, the, dri- the the new driver will get 800 and the person who referred to them get eight, 800. You know, it's I don't want to rely on that. And our, our main discussion was can we get enough people to do it to make a difference? And then it became, well, between all of us, if we could just get a handful of people to do it, showing that gig workers want to do this, then we can all we can approach Uber and Lyft and some of these companies and say, listen, why aren't you matching these funds or tripling them? And if they say, we're not going to do that, well, we know enough media people to have a story out in every publication across the country within a day. That here's drivers who can't afford to give this money up, giving it up to help out families, but these companies won't match it. It'd be amazing if they would, but well, I, I mean, that's I our hope is that they would, and we wouldn't have to go that route. It's not just about the threat; the threat is just there if they were to say, "Well, no, we're not going to do that." Okay, then we'll call all the we'll call all the media people that you call when you want to run a PR stunt. We know them too, so <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, it's just you know, it's just a lot more needs to be done, and uh, 
I'm really, you know, I don't know if they are. I know Uber's dumping off all their other Uber Air. You know, they've already sold it. Uh, Uber Autonomy is being sold because it's a joke. All these wasted money projects. Well, reallocate some of that money, not just towards getting rideshare on track, but making rideshare safer, better, and helping those people. Like, there, you know, one, one incident I'll tell you about. I had legal rideshare on the podcast uh, a few episodes back, and Bryant, the CEO of Legal Rideshare, told me that I, I was asking him, and I didn't even know this before, and I've known Bryant for a while, and I said, you know, it really bothered me that in the beginning of the pandemic or near it when Uber said, if you get COVID and you're a driver, we will give you three weeks of pay based on your last 20 weeks average. And, I remember that. Yeah, and then after that, as soon as you get the all clear, we'll put you back on the platform. They paid like under 10 people that amount. And these people were sending in their positive COVID tests. But then Uber played a card that they, so they did it all as a PR stunt because then they played a card saying that, well, there's a lot of uh, false uh, false positives out there. So Brian got pissed. I didn't even know this, but he got pissed and started any driver. They ran a thing for like two months in June and July that if Uber denied you your three weeks of pay, right, legal rideshare paid you. Wow. And I thought, that is the saddest thing ever that he has to do this. I mean, it's awesome that he did it. But I thought, how sad that you have to do this. This major corporation makes a promise. Billion dollar corporation. Yeah. But I mean, they've never turned a profit, so. (laughs) Well, that's what they say. Yeah. Well, anyway, yeah, yeah, exactly. There's pe- there's people who are turning profit, but the company doesn't show one. But um, but regardless, they you know they make this. It's not only should they have done this, but they make this promise that they don't even live up to it. And then the people who who did it, who said, "Hey, I had COVID. Here's my paperwork. I need that three weeks of pay," and they really did have it. They were finding they couldn't get back on the platform ever. You know, it was supposed to be once you sent back in a test that you were clear that you could get back on. I can't tell you the amount of people I had emailing me in the beginning of the pandemic saying, listen, I emailed Uber. They never paid me the three weeks. And then I got my all clear three, four weeks later, mailed it back to them going, okay, I never got the pay, but at least now I can get back to work. And they just never replied and never put them back on as active. Yeah, it's surprising. I mean, it's just... It's just ridiculous. I don't believe, uh, to, to the point right now where I, literally I don't believe anything that company says, either one of them. No. They just, uh, they screwed too many people over the years. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of rideshare like drivers. Politicians, actually. I know a lot of rideshare drivers who said, I will never, ever do app-based food delivery. And this was pre-pandemic. And I understood that because I didn't want my, I wouldn't want my car smelling like that either. And I'm more of a people person, so it made more sense for me to drive rideshare. But, and there were too many people doing Uber Eats and those kind of things. And the pandemic hadn't hit. So those people weren't, I knew a bunch who were not making much money. And now you make more than rideshare drivers made pre-pandemic to do to drive food and you don't have to have the passengers and i the drivers who said i would never drive food now are only driving food <laughs> it's like 
You know, it's and I get it. I think it's a good move. They're making more money. It's safer. And you, you just know. gotta leave it at the door. Yeah. You don't have to meet nobody, you just gotta drop it off. Right. And I mean and, and a lot of them, I mean, I know that it's gone away a little bit, but in the beginning a lot of them were getting like fifty dollar cash tips that would be taped to the door. Nice. You know, like thank you for doing this. Thank you for being out there delivering food and doing this and it's I don't know. You know, I think that now they're putting all their eggs into the delivery basket, but when the pandemic ends, sure, for a while it will taper for a while, then it'll go back to just being they'll have way too many drivers doing eats and those kind of things and that's why I think DoorDash IPO'd and went so high too, doing their doing the way that they IPO'd. Um, they did it now because why wouldn't you? This is probably the peak of what they'll ever be worth. Right. <laughs> so, but who knows when? Who knows if this will ever end? Yeah, yeah. The way true. things are going, I, now they got new strains coming out from other countries. And yeah. I'm ready to just sit in the house and move to move somewhere in the middle of nowhere and just sit there. You know, <laughs> just wait for the rest of my life. Yeah. I mean that's. You know, that's what I've been doing most of the year is, you know, my only my only outing is to the grocery store. My son does school from home. Uh, we really, you know, we get, we've had cabin fever for so long now that we don't have it anymore. <laughs> I know. And they don't listen. That home, that homeschooling stuff, yeah. that works. Trust me. I did it with three kids for yeah. all of their lives. It didn't. It didn't. Lives, it, it didn't start off so good, but it. He definitely is ending. He ended this semester really good, and he actually was starting to engage in it better. And so I kind of chalk it up as they just didn't have a good plan in the beginning, and they're still getting it under under dial. But it seems to be getting better. So, you know, he likes it. I, I, you know, it seems to work. The only thing that makes me a little sad is the having to have isolation from his friends, but, um, you know, they game. Socialization. socialization is uh, overrated. Yeah. <laughs> I used to, when my, when my wife and I decided when our kids were um, like five, four, and just born, we decided to, we were going to homeschool them their entire lives. That's what they were going to get. We found a group. Um, they pretty much, they did everything that you would normally do. And... You know, they're all thriving now. One's in college. He's getting his Ph.D. as a CPA. Um, the other one's, you know, a manager in a grooming salon. The other one's a dancer, not on a pole. Um, so it's it's good. So no, I get it. You I know, see the homeschooling industry get out there. I, 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 so I, you know, my son games on computer with his buddies. And so, I, you know, I've had to become a little more open to how off, how many, how much he does that. Obviously, I get him off the computer. We do things and stuff. But the other night, I thought he was gaming. I walked into his room, and uh, one of his buddies was just sharing their screen, and they were watching a movie. And they all had, like, a uh, uh, on like Disconnect or one of those platforms. And they, uh, and they were all in there privately. Nobody else could enter the room. They were just chatting about the movie and joking around. I thought that was pretty cool. That they were able to watch a movie together and have like conversation through the computer and stuff, and you know, and it's it's something, you know, it's it'll be fine. Trust yeah. me, they're all they'll all turn out fine. Yeah, um, but yeah, um, so the book, uh, 
um, not a ride to kill. What's the title? Um, the Drive to Kill. The Drive to Kill. That's people can only find it on Amazon, right? Um, yeah, that's where I have it. Okay, Amazon so. um, can be found it right there. Um, you got to get me your address. I'll send you a copy of it. I'm just waiting yeah. for Amazon to get their backlog. Yeah, I always, I, like I just, don't, I just asked if it was anywhere else because I always like to plug the other place if, if it's somewhere else too. <laughs> no, that's why I just self-published it and put it out there. Like no, I it's just kind of. I'm, I'm more concerned about getting the screenplay taken care of now. Yeah, I'm trying to get that to a studio somewhere. Yeah, well, like I said, and I'll oh. send, I'll send you over the information, but the it's Tremaine Hayho is the guy, and he owns who who was the writer and director. Um, and producer of the Rideshare movie, and so he. Okay, so I can he, use you as a reference. Oh yeah, and, and we've had oh, cool. he's had me on his YouTube channel. I've had him on the podcast. We we chat off the. I'll even send. I'll send you guys through Twitter. I'll send you guys a, um, an, uh, an, uh, you know, an introduction. Introduction. Yeah. Oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, because he's he's um, he's a my, super cool the guy. Twitter, the Twitter handle that I my book is under is actually the Drive to Kill. Right, I saw that. Drive to Kill. Is that is that uh, is that how I should do it between those two or? Um, yeah, because the Uber Joe one is more. That's getting. I'm going to be deleting that probably shortly. Oh, okay. It's just getting. I'm doing a lot of. Uh, there's a lot of people out there who are not happy with my political views, I guess, and the way I look <laughs> at things. So I'm just going to get rid of it all and just, uh, uh, yeah, the politicians these days, they're all annoying the shit out of me. Yeah. Well, uh, I think, I think all of us, you know, the industry right now, you know, with all the stimulus packages that they're talking about and what they're not doing for people, the ride share community, I'm sure is going to get hit hard with this as well. I mean, we can survive on 600 bucks. Yeah. While other countries are have since the beginning been giving people a set amount every month, and it's like every other, it's like we're becoming the third world country. Exactly. So, so but I appreciate you uh, doing the introduction. I really do appreciate that. If you send me my uh, your address, I'll ship you a book as soon as Amazon gets me mine that they've been promising me for the past three weeks. Okay. Yeah, um, I will. I will do that, and I absolutely will. I think they. I think you'll like Tremaine. I mean, if nothing else, you guys can just have a brain picking, se- you know, session because he's a he's a smart guy. He's been doing this for a while, and uh, he's made some movies. And I mean, a lot of them are comedy and whatnot, but he knows that market. So, well, I'm gonna go sh- I'm gonna definitely check out the movie tonight. So, yeah, it's wor- it's definitely worth watching. I mean, it's 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 a com it's a comma horror, so it's a. Uh, <laughs> You know, you get some laughs like in there too. <laughs> cool. Um, but th- thanks for coming on, Joe. Uh, hope that uh, you and your family have a great holiday, and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking you as soon. Well, Steve. Yeah. I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll talk soon. Have a happy holiday. You too, and have a great new year. You too. All right, so on top of the book, I guess we'll have to be watching out for Joe's screenplay on this and see uh, what happens there. But, um, yeah, uh, good to hear another rideshare driver's take. Uh, A lot of the experiences he went through, I've been through, and I'm sure a lot of you drivers out there have as well. Uh, We have definitely gone a little bit over this week, so I am going to wrap it up here. Next week uh, will be the last Rideshare Rodeo of the year. 
um, of this calendar year. And, uh, I think that I'm going to, uh, dig into my emails, um, and see, well, we'll go through some news, end of year news, and then, uh, just kind of answer some of the emails that I've got here on the show instead of just, uh, trying to bring them around into stories that we talk about on the show. So maybe I'll just directly address some emails and, uh, see what other maybe kind of lighter note things we can do to end the year. Um, but uh, next year, new website coming, new logo coming for uberliftdrivers.com, ridesharerodeo.com. We'll have a landing page on uberliftdrivers.com. If you want to email any questions that maybe uh, you want me to go through next week, you can email uberliftdrivers at gmail.com. Again, that's uberliftdrivers at gmail.com. And, uh, that's it. Take care of each other. Have a good week. Have a nice Christmas. Happy holidays. And uh, we will see you back here next week on the rodeo before the new year. Until then, take care of each other. Peace.